Um, well, I want you guys to think back to when you were a kid, uh, like around six, seven years old, and I want you to think of what your biggest fear was as a little kiddo. Uh, some of you may still have that same fear. <laughs> um, we, we did this in our live group this past week, and it was fun because they're usually the fears you have as a six-year-old are a little bit different than the fears you have as a 32-year-old. Um, anybody, when you were a kid, afraid of the dark? Willing to admit now, like in a very open, transparent room, yes, it's okay, you persevered, the dark did not take you, all right? You are here. Uh, anybody think monsters were in their closet or under their bed? Um, that's a, isn't that weird how we all kind of feel that at some point? Um, probably from like a movie we watched or something. Uh, I was afraid, uh, anybody afraid of aliens, that an alien was going to abduct just me, a few of us? That I thought the queen alien lived in my basement and was going to kill me? Is it just me? Okay. A few of us? Okay. If you are there, we're starting a new support group for aliens uh, right after this, because we live in the Hockamock Swamp and all that's going on. Um, but uh, yeah, we have all these fears, right? And sometimes we watch a movie. It's funny how you watch a movie and then you immediately think that's going to happen to you, right? Like in our mind, it triggers. It's like, oh man, now I'm going to get abducted by aliens because I saw a movie about it. So it's more likely to happen. Or like some of you, I, I mentioned last week how one of my favorite movies of all time is Psycho. Has anybody seen the movie Psycho? Like, a lot, a generation saw that movie in 1960 and did not want to shower after that. Like, America smelled worse that year because people were afraid of showering because of that movie. It happens all the time. Some of you are afraid of clowns. Clowns are supposed to be joyful, but for many of us, they're horrifying, right? Like, right now, if a clown came off out of the, and stood right next to me, would you be excited or terrified? A lot of us be terrified, right? So we have all these different fears, and they're for different reasons. And a lot of times you can look back at them and say they're kind of irrational um, when you're looking back at them, but, uh, but they're real at the time. And we all have, like, it's, fear is always in our lives in some ways. And, and sometimes it's kind of a sillier things, and sometimes it's, it's a really deep embedded fear that affects everything in us. Um, when I was a teenager, my fears changed, and they were different from when I was a little kid. Um, I remember my first day of sixth grade. I was starting middle school, and the night before classes started, um, I was so nervous, like anxious, because I, I knew some of the kids that were going to be in my school, but most of them I didn't. I didn't know who was going to be in my homeroom. I didn't really know my teachers. Um, those nerves are there, you know? And uh, like I, we did, we went to the mall the week before, and we got our back-to-school outfit. Does anybody ever do that? Like you bought your clothes for the first day? Just just me. Okay. Uh, I had corduroy shorts and or I was very fashionable and an orange t-shirt and I had it like laid out on my chair. I was ready to go. Um, but I could not sleep at all that night because all I could think about was what if I don't fit in, right? We know that feeling. Some of us still feel that now. And now as, as we get older, your fears change. Like when I went to college, I wasn't afraid of aliens as much as I was as a kid. Um, I still worry that one's going to abduct me, and that'll be the end of my life, and that's how I get to heaven. And if that's it, God, that's, I'm okay with that. That's a cool story. Uh, but our fears do change over time. When I went to college, my fear was more like, what if I don't find somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with? I wanted to be married, and I wanted to find uh, a, like, a girl that shared the same passions as me and the same love for the Lord. And so like, that was my fear. And then I got married... And my fear changed, like, what if we can't have kids? And then we had kids, and I said, what if something bad happens to our kids? Like, the fears never stop, right? Like, right now, if we took two minutes and you just thought of what are your biggest fears, it, it wouldn't take long for you to come up with those because they're there. And, and to be honest, even though fears do change over time, um, they're always there. And it's not, fear isn't necessarily the problem. It's what we fear and how it affects us and how it affects our decisions 
how it affects what we do and even what we don't do. A lot of times fear holds us back, even if it's something that we feel like God's calling us to do. Like fear does so many things to us. It causes us to assume the worst case scenario. It causes us to exa- like exaggerate our problems. Like, like we all have problems. We're all broken, right? Can we agree on that? We're all broken. We all have problems, but fear makes us think that we're more broken, that our problems are even worse. And so over the next few weeks, we're just going to have some honest conversations. Knowing that we're all broken, knowing that we all fear different things, and knowing that at different times, I think each of us fears the different things that we are going to be talking about, even if I'm the only one that's going to say it out loud here. Um, Because here's the deal. Like, there's this constant battle between fear and faith in our hearts. And what's bizarre is they're, like, fear and faith are kind of the same thing. They're both, like, believing in something that hasn't happened yet. They're both confidence in something that might happen. Fear is the confidence that the worst will happen to us, right? And so our minds start to drift to, what if this happens? Or this is, I know this is going to happen now, and this, this, this. Faith is trusting that the best will happen. Trusting that even if we don't know, even if we're out of control, even if, like, things are falling apart, faith is just trusting God's still going to take care of me. Faith is trusting that God still has a plan, that God is still in control. But it's still confidence in something that hasn't happened yet, The most common uh, commandment in the Bible, by the way, said hundreds of times in the Old and the New Testament. Do you guys know what it is? We talked about it last week. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid is the most common commandment in the Bible. That's the thing that God chooses to convey to his people the most. Why do you think that is? That his commandment is not something harsh or these things like you cannot do this any longer. It's an empathetic, loving reminder to not be afraid. Because he knows that the enemy, that's where he's going to get us, is with fear. And if the enemy can take that fear and grow it to where it's worry and it's anxiety and it's all we think about, then now we aren't living by faith anymore. We're living by what if this happens to me? We're living by what if these people don't like me? We're living by what if I don't have control? What if things go out of control? What if I fail? That's not a faith-driven life. And so today I wanted to look at a question that I think we have to come face to face with if we really want to take our faith seriously, if we really want to see what God has for our lives. And that is, do you live to please people or God? Because you can't do both. It doesn't mean that if you live to please God, everybody's going to hate you. That's not what I'm saying. And it doesn't mean that if you choose to please God, that you don't care about the people around you. It's what's your goal in life? Because Galatians 1.10, I think Paul puts it really, really well. He says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So our fear here is this fear of rejection, which is totally normal. We all feel that at different times, the need to be liked. Whether we want to admit it out loud or not, we all have that inside us. I think the great theologian Michael Scott from The Office put it best. Here's what he says. He says, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. <laughs> like that's, that's our thoughts, right? Like we don't want to admit out loud, like I don't need to be liked. But then deep down, it's like, I have to be liked. Like I started, I made a list just in the past few days of the different things that happened in my life that I became insecure and worried that the person across from me was judging me and uh, 
I actually stopped making the list because it was depressing how long it was. <laughs> um, but uh, a few days ago, I had lunch with a friend. He's, he's kind of like a new mentor figure in my life, and we were getting lunch and just talking about a few ministry things. We had lunch in his office, and we were sharing this small little table, and my plate uh, fell off the table, and all of the food fell onto the floor. And like this is the first time I'd ever been in his office before, and you know, if it's somebody I'm more comfortable with, I'm, it's not as big of a deal, but like I feel awkward, and now he thinks I'm clumsy, and I'm like picking up rice and broccoli with my hands. I'm like, it's no problem. I'll eat it anyway, because I'm like insecure and worried that like I just made this huge mess in his office, and he's going to think every time we eat, that's just how, that's his custom is, no, I eat off the floor, actually, right? So like that happened on Wednesday. Social media stuff Thursday. Like social media is all the time, right? And then Friday, I had a pastor's breakfast, um, with a few other guys, a school uh, invited me and a few other pastors to come. I was the youngest one there by probably 20 years, um, and I was the only one there not wearing a suit. Um, I generally only wear a suit if it's a wedding or a funeral, and not much in between. <laughs> um, I have a suit, and when people see me wear it, they're like, are you okay? Did something happen? I, was, I don't wear it very often, uh, but they were wearing it at this breakfast, and I, I, felt, I honestly felt insecure because I felt like I was being judged. One guy comes up to me, and he's like, how old are you, young man? Which I get all the time. And I'm like, 32. They're like, I've got a grandson that's 36. Are you old enough to be a pastor? I was like, I thought I was, but no, not anymore. <laughs> not after this conversation. So, like, we, like, even, like, there's no job that escapes this feeling, right? You're not old enough. You're not good enough. You don't look good enough. You're not skilled enough. Like, we have that everywhere. And then you add in social media. Oh, my goodness, right? Some of you aren't on social media for this reason, right? Like, some of you have deleted it off your phone because you're like, it's driving me crazy. And the ones who haven't deleted it on your phone, it's driving us crazy, right? Just yesterday, I saw a post that two complete strangers had complaining about the coffee shop and what they thought it was going to be without knowing anything about it. And, like, for me, I felt like I need these strangers to like me. I need to chime in and say something. Don't we all have that? I heard somebody say once, a thousand compliments plus one criticism equals one criticism. That is like, we are so afraid of people not liking us, this fear of rejection, and it drives us. We all try to be people pleasers. Abraham Lincoln, he said this best years ago. He said, you can please some people all the time. You can please all people some of the time, but you can't please all people all of the time. But that's what we try to do, right? And so we're going to look at two kings in the Old Testament and how they battled with this. And the question that we need to go back to and the question that you need to ask yourself is do you live to please an audience of many or an audience of one? Because Paul says you, you can't do both. You can't serve Christ and live to just please everybody around you. And we're going to look at two kings and the decisions they made and how different those looked. Because ultimately what you have to choose is who are you going to disappoint? Are you going to disappoint God with your life because you care so much what the people think around you? Or are you willing to put God first, which means at times you're going to disappoint the people around you because they want different than what God wants for your life. So we're going to look at two kings. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 um, is where we're going to start. Um, and here's the context. Um, who's heard of King David, David and Goliath? Many of us had, most of us have, the most popular king in Israel, right? So he was king at 25 um, and did amazing, prominent things for Israel. And God used him in magnificent ways. Um, even though he made dumb decisions along the way, God still used him. 
Uh, David had a son named Solomon. Who's heard of Solomon before? Uh, a lot of us have. These are two, like, probably the two most popular kings in Israel, right there, uh, David and Solomon. Um, uh, then, then their son, uh, Rehoboam, came, comes after him. Who's heard of Rehoboam? Not as many. You know why? Because he was a moron. <laughs> David and Solomon chose to live for God. Rehoboam chose differently. And we're going to see the ramifications that that had on Israel and on the legacy that he had. And at the very end, we're going to look at his obituary because what's cool about the Old Testament is if you lived a horrible life, they tell us. And if you lived a great life, they tell us. And they'll, they'll wrap it up and it's like, and this guy lived a horrible life. The end, next king. Or this guy did great things. The end, next king. First Kings chapter 12. The leaders of Israel summoned him and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. So he's brand new king. Your father was a hard master, they said, talking about Solomon. Please lighten up the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we'll be your loyal subjects. This first request as king, verse 5, Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over. Didn't come back for my answer, so the people went away. So look what the first thing he does. uh, Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. So this is like his wise counsel that Solomon had, who Solomon, by the way, was considered in the Old Testament to be the wisest man to ever live. And the reason we know that is because the Bible tells us that. Because he, he has a chance standing before God. We all wish we had this. It's like Aladdin with a genie. He's like, I'll give you one wish. What do you want? And Solomon says, I just want to be wise. Isn't that awesome? And here's, what God, here's how God replies. He goes, okay, I'll make you the wisest person that ever lived in Israel. And because you didn't ask for money, I'll give you a ton of money too. He's like, sweet right? So that's Solomon. That is Rehoboam. He's got all this wisdom. So he, he, he established like this advisory board. And then when he died, he told Rehoboam, he's like, I've got a board of wisdom here that you can listen to. King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What's your advice? He asked. How should I answer these people who are asking me to scale back on the taxes to make things easier? And here's how they reply. If you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your local subjects. Here's what it's saying. And by the way, this is a good leadership principle, is if you're brand new leading a group of people and you start that off from a posture of wanting to serve them and their needs, aren't they, aren't they going to be more likely to want to follow you? Like if you come in and say, this is all about me and what I want to do, who wants to follow that? But if his first act as king is, I've heard how difficult it is and I'm here to serve you. He says, if you serve them now, you'll gain their respect later. So this is like his, I call it a wisdom table, like the group of people that you go to for advice, that like wise counsel. So like people, like there's some people that I, that this isn't a physical table that I go to, but there's people that, I, that sit at my wisdom table. Some are my age that are like friends um, that can just see my life from a different perspective. And some are mentors that are different pastors. And my dad sits on my wisdom table. And I go to them for different things at different times based on what's going on in my life. And, and like their personalities are different. Their experience are different. There's a friend of mine who's a pastor in California who planted a church 10 years ago. And his perspective on leadership and ministry is totally different. That's why I value it. Because he sees things I don't see. So that's who Rehoboam goes to first. And he asks for their advice. And they say, I think God would want you as king to serve the people first. Here's how he responds to it. Verse 8. Rehoboam rejected the advice 
of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young man, of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. So just like a president does, like he comes in and his cabinet are just all his buddies and his best friends who love him, but like that's just his posse. Like they're not going to tell him no. They're like, that's just his friends, right? Like sometimes the worst people you can ask for advice are the people that you know are just going to agree with everything you say, right? Because that's not really advice. So as a young king, that's what he did. Uh, and in fact, that's called confirmation bias, if you guys didn't know that. That's when we don't really seek out advice. We just seek out people that will agree with us so we feel better. Like, oh, no, I, I got advice. But it was just people that were always going to say yes anyway. Isn't it funny how we do that? That's why a lot of us will only watch certain news stations that agree with what we believe politically. They're not really giving us new information. They're just confirming what we already believe. That's why one of the guys that sits on my wisdom table is a pastor in Texas who disagrees with most of what I believe. <laughs> and not like faith-wise, but like he pushes back. And uh, I need that. You all, we all need somebody that's going to push back and ask questions that the people that care about you and may be too afraid to ask won't ask. And so he's a guy that he'll, he'll see blind spots in what I'm doing or in my heart or the way that I lead my family that I don't see because of the wisdom that he has in ministry. Everyone needs somebody like that speaking into our lives. But Rehoboam goes to the people that are just going to say yes to him and say what he would want to do. And he has to choose. Is he going to listen to the wisdom and the counsel of a group of older men that are trying to say, here's what I think God would want, or his friends that he likes, and he just wants to please them because he's always been friends with them. That's his battle. So verse 10. Here's how they reply. Here's the advice they give, by the way. The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a light, lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips. I'll beat you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear uh, uh, Rehoboam's decision just as the king had ordered. Is he going to choose the wise counsel that said, do what God would want you to do as king? Or is he just going to be agreeable to what his friends want? He can't have both. Verse 13, Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors, and he followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I'll beat you with scorpions. See, he was led by this desire to gain their approval over doing what was right as king. Don't we all do that, by the way? Like, how often do we make decisions, and what's weighing in that decision is what would the people around me, my friends, want? Because it's way easier to do something that your friends would want you to do, even if God's calling you to do something that may not be the popular decision. And some of you, most of the people that you spend your time with don't believe what you believe and don't have the kind of life that you have. You may be in a family that, that doesn't want to follow Christ, and that impacts your decision. And you have to decide in that moment, do you care more about living for what God has for you or gaining their approval? Because if, if they're against your life to follow Christ, then following Christ, they're going to be disappointed in you. So you can either disappoint God or you can disappoint them, but you, you can't do both. Otherwise, you're just going to live in the civil war. And that's what we see, is he has this wise counsel that told him, serve the people, because that's what a good king would do. A good king would think about the people, not what he wants. But he decides to go and hear the second opinion from his, pen, of, from his friends. 
and he chooses poorly. He focuses more on his friend's approval than on the right decision. Now, as a result, the nation of Israel rebels against him as king. They said, this was our one request. You asked us what we would want. They rebel rebel against him as king. They reject him as king. And this begins, this single moment begins a civil war that lasted 600 years between a divided nation, Israel, that was not divided before this, but it turned into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Have you ever heard of those expressions before in the Old Testament? That began here because of the selfishness of a guy who cared more about what he wanted to do and what his friends wanted him to do than what was wise to do as a king because he was driven by what? The fear of rejection. See, fear is seeking the approval of many. Faith is seeking the approval of one. That takes more faith. It's way easier to be a people pleaser than to trust that God has something better than that. That's why so few people do it. Fear says, God, your approval isn't enough. I need the people around me. Even though I know you love me and you care for me, I need you plus people's approval. And anytime we say, God, I need you, but I also need this, then we're not truly trusting in God. Like we need someone to supplement God because he's not enough. That's the difference between fear and faith. You have to choose who you're going to say no to. You have to, de- you have to decide if you'll say no to God or the people around you. And by the way, I struggle with this too. Like, you know what keeps me up at night? Is conflict with other people. Especially people in my church family. Like, that's what I pray for more than anything else. That's what keeps me up and it makes it hard for me to sleep at night. Is when I know there's somebody that I'm at odds with. Or there's a conflict. Or they don't like something. And I have to decide in that moment, am I really being driven by love for them or by fear of rejection from them? And those are two different things. So we struggle with this. We have to choose today who we're going to live for. Because if we don't make that decision on the forefront, then in the moment, our temptation is going to be people over God. Because that's the easier one. Like, you have to decide ahead of time if you're going to put God first or people first. Because if you wait until the temptation's there, you're going to go with the easier choice. That's why so many people end up making decisions that are completely different than what they thought they would do. And they look back at it and it's like, I don't know how I, like, why I did that. It's because you waited until the temptation to decide who you were going to say no to. And you said no to God then. That's why there are a lot of people that know that they're in an unhealthy relationship. Or know they have unhealthy, intimate patterns in their relationship. And know they're doing things that the Bible would never want them to do. And they never thought they'd end up that way. But they didn't decide ahead of time that they were going to say no to that more than God. And so when the temptation comes, what what do they cave to? They go into the easier option. So, a few years later, another king comes who's faced with the exact same decision. Now, in that 15 years' time between these guys, um, like in just that short amount of time, a lot has happened. Israel has split. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Now they're having a civil war over lands and these, like the kings. Now you have two different kings for Israel because you've got the king over this kingdom and over this kingdom. And it all is because of Rehoboam's selfishness. Uh, So a guy comes, comes along named... King Jehoshaphat, and he's in the exact same position as Rehoboam. And he's actually the great-grandson of Rehoboam. And here's why that's significant. Because there's some people that believe in generational sin and think that you inherit the mistakes of your parents, and that's not true. The environment you grew up in, you can change the habits. There's people in this room that you chose to follow Jesus, even though you didn't grow up in a family that did. 
You chose to follow Jesus, even though your parents might still not. You've proven this to be true, that environment isn't everything. You can still ultimately make decisions that are different than what came before you. You can change your patterns. Even if you've struggled with a mistake for a long time, you can change. That's what we're reminded of here. So 1 Kings 22, it's just a few chapters later, but a lot has happened in Israel's history between those two. Uh, now Jehoshaphat, brand new, like he, he's only a few years into his leadership as king, and he's faced with a similar decision, but see the difference in how he responds to it. 1 Kings 22, verse 2. Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went <clears throat> to visit King Ahab of Israel. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram? Then he, then he turned to Jehoshaphat and he asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth-Gilead? Joseph replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, But first... Let's find out what the Lord says. Now, even like just that, if you added that filter into your decision-making process, your life would change drastically. If you're faced with temptation or a crossroads, make that your trigger. But first, let's see what the Lord has to say. Not, hey, first, let's take a poll of the people in the room and take the popular vote? Or what would the people around me want me to do? Or what would I have done in the past? Or like, let me just ask my friend and, and he'll say yes to what, and, and like he'll just agree with what I want to do. But first, let's seek out what the Lord has to say. First, let's pray. Not first, let's seek our advisors, but first we seek to please God. We seek the counsel of the Lord because we know his way is so much better than our way. And his wisdom is so much better than our wisdom. And if I'm just chasing people-pleasing with my life, I'm just going to be running in circles. Because you can do everything you can to try to serve and to please somebody, and there's still going to be a moment where they disappoint you. But with God, if you seek to please him with your life, he will not be disappointed in you. That's the difference between the two. Do you choose to, to get the approval of God or the approval of many? So here's, so here's what happens. Uh, Jehoshaphat prays about it. And as he's praying about it, he's saying, God, if this is not something you wanted me to do or you want us to do, send us a sign. So I'm going to kind of skim through the verses real quick and jump around for a little bit. Verse 19, um, God sends a prophet to get Jehoshaphat's attention to say, hey, this is a bad idea. Micaiah, the prophet, said, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramath Gilead so he can be what? Killed. What he's saying is the enemy is trying to tempt him into this battle because he knows that it will end in disaster. Jehoshaphat hears that. Ahab ignores that. The prophet goes on. So you see, verse 23, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all of your prophets that are trying to tell you to go into battle. For the Lord has pronounced your doom. Ahab ignores him, says, we're going to charge into battle. Jehoshaphat kind of scales back. He says, we'll come, but we're going to put our troops in the back and see what happens. What happens? Ahab is killed. Jehoshaphat is not. Why? What's the difference? He said, first, let's see what the Lord wants us to do. For many of us, that's a layer that's just missing in our decision-making process. We say, first, I'm going to decide what I want to do. 
which is often very different than what the Lord wants you to do. Or first, I'm going to decide what the people around me would want me to do, which is often very different than what God wants. Or I'm going to choose whatever easy, whatever decision is the easiest or the quickest or gets me what I want. That's often very different than what God wants you to do. So I said we'd read the obituaries um, of these two men. And this, like, here's what's crazy about the Old Testament. I'm glad I wasn't a king in the Old Testament because your whole life is summed up in one verse. And if you chose approval of people, this is what you got. 1 Kings 14.22. During Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger with their sin, for it was even worse than that of their ancestors. That's his legacy. That's why we don't talk about him. That's why you're not going to go to a leadership seminar and say, well, let's look what we can learn from Rehoboam. You're not going to see that. But you know what? I've been to secular leadership conferences that talk about David and Solomon all the time even from people that aren't Christians, because they did so many great things in their leadership. Now, here is Jehoshaphat's obituary, 1 Kings twenty-two forty-three. Jehoshaphat was a good king, following the example of his father, Asa. He did what was, what? Pleasing in the Lord's sight. Who did he seek to please? Audience of one, not audience of many. What do you want your obituary to say? I tried my hardest to get everyone to like me. I tried my hardest to have as many followers as I could. I tried to just outrun the people around me. I tried to, is the, like the shortcuts that got me the easiest life. If that's what you seek out in your life, your legacy will be Rehoboam. It's, what'd you really do? Your legacy dies when you die. But if, if you chase after the approval of one, your legacy is now eternal because you're chasing eternity, not the few decades that we have here on earth. So the answer to that question tells us where we find our value. Are we living to please people or God? Do you find your value in the approval of people or God? And by the way, if it's both, then it's people. Because God is God alone, God and God alone. If you need God plus anything, you're not truly dependent on him. And that's the mistake a lot of us make. There's a lot of religious people that say, I love God, but they're not truly dependent on him. It's God plus. That's not trusting God. You either fully trust God and know that he has a better way, or you're tricking yourself and saying you are. Fear says, I need God plus I need all this other stuff. Faith says, I live for an audience of one. Every single day, you have that choice. Surrender your heart to God's approval or let your fear of rejection trap you into running in circles. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these three things down. These are traps that I think when, when these things exist in our lives, it's, it's even harder to face this question. These are the things that we're most vulnerable of towards when they exist in our lives. And I would guess that everybody in this room is struggling with at least one of these traps right now. One of these is you're lonely, like a trap that you're lonely. And when you're lonely and you're desperate for people, for friends, for a spouse, it's really easy for you to compromise on what God has for you because you're vulnerable. And you end up making decisions that you never thought you would make. And you end up questioning things about God that you never thought you'd question because you're in, you're in a trap right now where the enemy's temptation is going to appear stronger and where the promises of Jesus appear not as strong, appear weaker, appear lighter. Because you start to question, God, well, if, if you really cared for me, 
then why haven't you given me this? And that's a question. It's okay to question God, and it's okay to ask questions to God, but recognize if they're driven by fear or faith. It's okay to doubt God. It absolutely is. But don't let your fear drive you into a trap. Here's the second one. You're threatened. So the first one deals with your identity. Do you find your identity in God to the point that even if you're lonely, you're still trusting in God? Now that's really hard to do and that's why so few people do it. But if your identity is truly in Christ and you're fulfilled in Christ, even when you're lonely, you trust him. And even when you've been praying for something, I still trust God. I still trust God. Number two, you're threatened. This has to do with your security. And it's, by the way, it's not just physically threatened, but you feel threatened. You feel like your back is up against the wall. And this plays into a little bit of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks about the fear of losing control, which is a common one. A lot of us, our biggest fear is like a freak accident happens to us. Something unexpected happens. And like, ultimately, life is out of our control. There are areas of life that we just cannot control. And that makes us very uncomfortable. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But you feel threatened. And when you feel threatened, you feel you have to take things into your own hands, which is ultimately saying, God, I don't really trust that you're going to keep me safe. I, like, I love you, God, but I've got, like, you can take a back seat. I'll take it from here. Number three, you're in need. There's something in you that, like, there's something that you need and you've been asking and maybe you're frustrated at God and you don't trust God's provision there. You don't think he's really going to provide for you. That's why for so many people, it's so easy for us to be biblically disobedient to God when it comes to our giving. God calls every Christ follower, every Christ follower to give their first fruits, their first 10% as a bare minimum gift back to him. Because he wants, us to, he wants to see if you really trust him. Do you trust God so much that you're willing to live on less than what you make and give and dedicate your first fruits back to him and say, God, you could do so much more with this than I could in myself, and I know you're still going to provide for me. Even if I'm in debt, even if I have school loans, even if I don't know how ends are going to meet, I will never stop giving my first fruits to God because I trust that God can do more with my life living on 90% or less than me trying to do it on 100 but the trap is when you're in need, you start to make excuses for that. No, 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 I can't right now, God, because you haven't taken care of me, so I'm not going to give back to you. Is it out of fear or faith? Faith is we trust God even when things don't play out the way that we think they're going to. There's something worse than, not, than getting picked on for standing up for your faith. There's something worse than being lonely. And that's standing before God at the end of your life. And him asking you, did you seek to please me or all these people that are now irrelevant because you're here with me? Your choices now will determine how God judges you on that day. And if your choices now are to seek the approval of people that might be completely irrelevant to your life a few years from now, then you're choosing something that is far less important than eternity with Jesus. I'll close with this final story. Um, every September, there's a high school prayer day called See You at the Pole that takes place all over the country. Who's heard of that before? See You at the Pole. Colleges and high schoolers do it all over the country. It's usually like a Wednesday in September, like right towards the beginning of school. So a few weeks ago, we see you at the poll, and it's always like one day that high schoolers all over the country gather, and if it's nothing more than high schoolers and sometimes even college students that gather at their flagpole like 30 minutes before school starts, and they'll pray. I did it in high school, and I had friends, and someone brought a guitar, and we sang, 
And, you know, there's like people that aren't religious that are walking by and they're seeing it. Um, and they're like, what is happening right now? What's this powwow going on over here, right? So, um, so you recognize that in that moment, like, you're, you're, you're spiritually letting people know your faith. And that's why there's a lot of Christians that know about it and still don't go to it because they don't want to make that kind of stand. Um, a few weeks ago, there was a kid, Hayden, uh, an eighth grader, that went to his school. And here's a picture of him. He was the first one at the flagpole. Uh, and uh, he was just standing there waiting, um, waiting for other people to show up. Um, and no one did. It's just him. And you can see in the picture that he's uncomfortable, right? Like if you're ever standing by yourself and you're waiting for people, it's kind of an awkward moment. Later that day, he kind of shares the story of how he was feeling because he stood there for 30 minutes by himself. And he said, at first, all I could think about as my eyes were closed and I acted like I was praying, that's a Jesus juke, by the way. That's what we do. We act like we're praying, but you're sleeping. I can tell. Uh, He acts like he's praying, but what's he really thinking about? The fact that he's the only one there, right? Wasn't that what you'd be thinking if you're a high schooler and you thought all your buddies were going to come and no one comes? He's thinking about all these kids that are walking by him. Someone took this picture, by the way. So someone stopped 10 feet in front of him and took a picture and then walked right by him. That's what he's thinking. And then he said about halfway through, his, his heart changed, and he started to pray, God, use this for you. And he started to pray, God, if there's other Christians in this school, let them see me and know they're not alone. Man, I wish I had that strength when I was a high schooler to stand alone because I choose faith over fear of what other people are going to think of me. Later that day, that picture went viral in his town. And all these teenagers, even non-religious teenagers, were like, it's so cool. This kid was praying by himself. And kids started outing themselves. I'm a Christian too, but I was too afraid to go and pray. But seeing Hayden made me realize I wasn't alone. See, sometimes your fear is not to pull just you away from God. It's because, because God wants to use your life to pull more people back to him. And you standing alone and choosing faith over fear might be the thing that helps give someone the confidence to overcome their own fear too. That's where the enemy attacks us because he knows it doesn't just get us. It gets all the people you influence too. And whether you realize it or not, people look at your life. And there are some people that when they think of a passionate Christ follower, they think of your life. And they're not going to do something unless you do it first. Just like there's a bunch of high schoolers, they weren't going to do it unless Hayden was willing to stand by himself. Faith versus fear. The enemy is going to do anything he can to make you think that you need something more than God to take care of you. Will God give you what you want? I don't know. Will he give you what you need? Absolutely. If you put his approval over the approval of the people around you. Let's pray together. God, I pray that we stop finding our value in the approval of other people. Not because you don't want us to love them. You do, God. I love them. God, I love the people around me. But I know that my value does not come from their opinion of me. But God, sometimes I trick myself into believing it does. God, give me strength. Give us strength to trust you. God, give us faith to know that you have something so much better than us chasing the approval of the people around us, than us just trying to get more likes. God, we all battle with this. So just give us the strength to trust 
you more than the opinions of the people around us. God, for the people here that are in that battle and have not gone all in on saying yes to you, they can right now. God, I pray that they just stop and they say, God, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I know that I've fallen short. I know I've been disobedient to you, just like everybody in this room. I know I've been selfish to other people, just like everybody in this room, just like me, God. So I ask that you forgive me so that I can have a relationship with you. I want to turn from my sins so that I can know you. I want to start a new relationship with you because you have something better than what this world could ever offer me, God. Lord, just give us strength. Give us faith to trust you, to keep moving forward. Pray this in your name. Amen.